0: If you brought a Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter uh, twenty-three. Exodus chapter twenty-three. We are. If if you are, how many of you are returning staff? You you've been around. Okay, we are still in Exodus. Um, <laughs> this is uh, this is week thirty-eight for us in the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is one of those critical books that help us to really understand the gospel. All all scripture speaks about Christ, and Christ even says, talking about the religious leaders of the day, that they, they understand certain things, but they don't understand ultimately that what they're teaching about and talking about is ultimately about me. So the Old Testament is speaking about and pointing towards Christ Himself, and so we, we're spending our time walking through the Book of Exodus and enjoying each and every step. This week, just, just I need to kind of give you a recap. Exodus nineteen through twenty-four records the giving of the Law and the establishment of what is called the the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant. It is Mosaic because ultimately it is closely associated with Moses. Moses was kind of the mediator between God and his people. It's the Mosaic Covenant. It's also called a covenant because God is laying here a a framework, He's laying the groundwork for the relationship between God, Himself, and Israel. So the Mosaic Covenant defines the nature of of what it means to be God's people. What it means to be God's people. Our sermon this morning is called The Basics of Being God's People. So last week, this is, uh, this is the very last week in our kind of our sub, sub-series of the God who commands. It's coming to the end of God commanding his people. Um, And next week, we're going to start our next mini-series, sub-mini-series, in a six-week series called The God Who is Holy, where we are going to begin our study of the tabernacle, the first place that God is going to be residing with and, and where God's people can be worshiping Him at. So let me kind of push back even further. Chapter 19. Chapter 19, all of Israel was gathering they were brought out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, the land bondage, and they were brought to the base of Mount Sinai, where they were being prepared to meet God. And it was there that God's, God really laid it out for him, and he said, basically, "I like you. I, I love you, but I am not like you. I am God. I am holy. I am set apart." Chapter 20, God delivered the, the Ten Commandments. He, he put out his, his basic constitution for this is how things are going to be working. The, they served as a, identifying the basic way in which God's people are going to be relating to God himself and to be relating to one another. In chapters 21 through 23, these chapters provide the basic, specific examples Of how Israel is to live out these principles behind the Ten Commandments. How do we now live? And God gave some basic case laws. And so we just finished that section. We learned. We learned about God's concern for compassion, God's concern for justice, and God's concern for fairness. And God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves and God wants us to be ultimately just like him. So our text today in chapters 23 and 24 brings closure to this covenantal movement. After God identifies who he is, what he has done, and what he requires, he tells Israel what he is prepared to do now if they would just keep his commandment. So there's wonderful blessings connected to this covenant The grace of God can be seen here in the fact that He has not only rescued His people, but He intends to bless them in ways that are absolutely stunning. So read along with me. Starting at Exodus chapter 23, and we're going to read to the end of Exodus 24. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the, to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will blot them out. You, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break down their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take away sickness away from among you none shall miscarry or be barren in your land I will fulfill the number of your days I will send my terror before you and will throw up throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you and I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines from the, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come up, shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came up and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and the 12, and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings to, of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses threw the blood and took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel there under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief, of, chief men of the people of Israel, And they beheld God, and ate, and drank. And the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain, and wait there, that I might give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on the Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we see here is we see the people's response to God's covenant. And we see a, a ceremonial meal that is going to be shared by representatives of a nation. And in doing so, now we are seeing a covenant process. And we are seeing this process coming to its completion. God has delivered his people. He has revealed his sovereignty, his rule over his people. He's identified his requirements. He's given and promised his blessings. And the people have now responded with a yes and an amen. So what do we have going on here? And what does this Manitoba have? What does this have to do with you? It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with every one of us because in one way, shape, or form, we are all involved in some type of gospel ministry in our schools, in our workplaces, here at Camp as a as a plumber, whatever it is, whatever it is, we all have some type of gospel ministry going on. So what do we have here? What we have is the mosaic covenant is part of a covenantal crescendo. A crescendo. How many of you understand what a crescendo is? A crescendo is starting off with a what is it? Pianissimo. N- p- n- yeah, real, real, really, 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 really quiet. Really, <laughs> really really quiet and it builds up to this ultimate huge forte fortissimo really super loud and it's it's gaining momentum all throughout scripture. Here is what we can see. God has given multiple covenants and each one is building upon the on another. The first one that we see is the Noahic covenant where God promises that he will never destroy the entire race, the entire group of humanity. He'll never destroy the human race again like he did in the flood. Then the next one is the Abrahamic covenant where God chooses Abraham, Abram. Out of all the people of the earth, he chooses Abram and his descendants as his people and promising to bless them and promising to bless the entire world because of them. Next, we have the Mosaic Covenant, which we're, we're looking at today, so I won't go into any more depth. Following that, we have what's called the Davidic Covenant. The Davidic Covenant is found in 2 Samuel, and it is there where God says, Listen, I promise, through the line of David, a great king will come, and that great king will rule forever. Ultimately pointing to? Good. Sunday school answer when I do this. The answer is Jesus, right? And now there's finally that crescendo is, is the, the new covenant, as promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, where God says the following: For this is a covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be shall be my people. And no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This new covenant is inaugurated. It is started by Jesus Christ and will be ultimately fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth. And we hear about that and we sang about that in, in, in one of our songs. We hear about it in Revelation chapter 21 where John says, And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this as a heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is God's goal. This is God's goal. It is the restoration of the violation and the destruction and the separation that took place in the Garden of Eden. It is to restore all things. The new heaven and the new earth where God dwells again with his people is what all these covenants are pointing towards. And each covenant, each covenant becomes a part of a crescendo that is building towards God's ultimate Goal. And each covenant progressively reveals more and more about God and His grace. So why is it so important that we look at Exodus 23 and 24? Because it's vital. It's vital for Christian ministry. It's vital that you see the specifics of what God is saying about and to the people of Israel, but you would miss the full beauty of what is going on in this text if you do not make a connection to the bigger picture of Scripture. What is going on in redemptive history? In other words, we can find themes and ideas expressed in this closing section of the Mosaic Covenant that point to even greater realities That are yet to come. So, this section helps us to see some aspects of what it means to be God's people. And God talks about his relationship with them and the promises connected to this covenant. And when we look closely, it's not hard for us to see a redemptive pattern going on. And that's really what the point of Exodus is really about. To use the redemption of Israel as a revelatory moment for God. Look at what I did to Israel. Look what I'm going to do for you. Keep your eyes open, New Testament people. Look at what he has done. He will surely do it for you. So let's learn about God's relationship with Israel all the while looking for this crescendo. There's five themes that are important to note. First is the angel of the Lord. Starts off with that, right? God's intention is to bless His people, but the very first blessing that God gives is the provision of the angel of the Lord, who, according to verse 20, will, will guard you on your way and bring you to the place that I have prepared for you. The people of God are going to make this journey to the promised land, and it's going to take them some time. They're kind of idiots that get lost in the, because of disobedience, get lost out there in the wilderness for some 40 years of wandering off until the next generation is ready to go. But God says, ultimately, my angel is going to guide you in this place, in this process, and he's going to bring you. God is going to lead them, and he is going to do it through his angel. But this angel is not just a leader for traveling purposes. Verse 21 tells us that the angel will provide instruction. Instruction that Israel should heed and they should obey. Rebellion against this angel. Rebellion would be viewed as disobedience against God himself. Since the text says, my name is. Is in him. Are, are you getting a little bit of a foreshadowing? Uh, if not, open your eyes. The angel would carry the authority of God himself. Verse 22 makes the connection between Yahweh and the angel even closer. So in, in motivating the people to obey this angel, God says the following, you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say. In other words, the angel communicates the very words of God himself. Further, we see in verse 23 that the angel will go before the people of Israel and the result will be the blotting out of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites. All the ites that are in the land blotted out So the angel of the Lord will somehow be involved in doing battle for the people of God. The angel will fight, fight against evil for the people of God. So putting all this together, you can see that God God himself is the means of everything for their future. And his angel is the agent, agent by which he will accomplish his work. So God, in effect, is saying, listen, I will be with you right there as you travel through the promise, toward the promised land, right there as you begin the conquest, right there as you begin the fight, and right there as you settle in. I will be right there. And the people of God will be marked by this divine enablement and this presence in everything that they do. Everything. I'll be right there, God says. My angel will be right there. Nothing about their lives could be attributed to their own power, to their own strength. That should be encouragement for you today. Some of you are going, I have no idea how I'm going to reach the people in my workplace. I have no idea how I'm going to accomplish this mission to someone. Don't worry about it. It's through God's power and through God's strength that he is going to accomplish something great. Trust in him. That's how we do it. Their lives, your lives, depend solely upon your relationship with God, and that relationship is mediated through the angel of the Lord, who is a pre-incarnate person of the Trinity. This isn't even the first time that we've heard this kind of a reference to the angel with divine qualities. If you were with us way back in the day as we walked through Exodus uh, 3, the angel of the Lord was present there. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, that'd be Moses, in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was not burning, and yet it was burning, and it was not consumed. What's more, the angel is called the Lord and God in Exodus 3, verse 4. And his presence is holy. Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Know where you are, Moses. You're on holy ground. It's likely that the angel of the Lord in Exodus 3 and Exodus 23 is Jesus Christ himself before he has taken on human form. I think also that the Son of God shows up in, Genesis, or in Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, after the days of Moses and the people are brought, about ready to enter into the promised land, Joshua has a burning bush experience. And it's a scary one. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, "Are you for us or for our adversaries?" And he said, "No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come." And Joshua fell on, on his face to the earth and worshiped him, worshiped him, and said, "What does my Lord say to his servant?" And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. When you put all this together, it gives a picture of how God works and what it means to be his people. Let me highlight a little bit in that that crescendo category. The coming of Jesus Christ as a personal presence of God The teacher of God's ways and and the deliverer fits perfectly into this model. On top of that, think of the radical implications for us uh, of God's presence being defined in the new covenant as the personal presence of the father and the son through the Holy Spirit, which dwell in the hearts of every man, woman and child that clings to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The presence of God goes with you. Where? Right here. Right here. And you freak out. Does that give you some reason why Jesus says, not be anxious? How can he say that? Because I am with you. In fact, not only am I with you, I'm right here. Not be anxious about anything. The birds aren't even anxious. You're anxious and you have the indwelling presence of God. Crescendo. <laughs> and central to the identity and the hope of God's people is the promise that God is leading and guiding and fighting for them. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you understand the beauty and the power of grace, then you cannot help but see Jesus in this text. And you are able to see what is yet to come. Next, land. That's the next major thing here. The second theme is this connection between the people of God and a place for them to live. The concept of land or promised land is linked directly to the covenant that God made for his people. And so, a relationship with God is not just this spiritual, euphoric kind of experience, it is phys- spiritual in the physical. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is spiritual. In the physical. It's happening right here, right now. So God created a planet upon which he placed a man and a woman. And God originally placed them in the the garden of, which is an actual place. An actual man, an actual woman in an actual place. And when they sinned, God banished them from a real place. Kicked them out of Eden. And when God made his covenant with Abraham, it involved a promise of land, promise of land, a place of blessing. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Exodus 23 tells us that God is going to incrementally, slowly, little by little, give his people of Israel their new land. I'm not, I'm not going to do it all at one time because if I do it all at one time, there's going to be wild beasts and they're going to outnumber you. They'll come and devour you. And listen, so I'm going to wisely give it to you piece by piece. And as you grow, I'm going to give you more land. I'm going to give you more land. So the people of Israel were going to receive this land of a A place of blessing, a place to live, a place where God would ultimately dwell. He was going to live there among them. This land would become part of their identity as a people because of the linkage between the promise and the presence of God and the land in which they lived. And I don't want you to think, oh, well, that doesn't, we're, we're, we're not Israel. Right, you're not but I want you, don't want you to miss the significance of this concept because it's foundational. Being a part of God's people and having a relationship with the creator God had a very important physical component to it. There was a land a real land in which they lived. And God's people lived out their relationship with their creator in both the spiritual and the physical realms. A relationship with Yahweh was both. And when we move next week to our study of the tabernacle, this idea gets even more important. The creator God is going to inhabit a place, a a worship center that will teach people about the real presence of God. And and here's something for you to kind of start wrapping your mind around. Every time that we gather, not only are you carrying the presence of God, but he is meeting us here. It should have huge implications about how we worship. He's here in a spiritual and physical way. He is with us. Scary, but comforting. Should that not just throw you to your knees and worship sometime? And I know some of us are going, oh, you're pushing it. That's not my style. It's the creator God. And when he speaks, planets are thrown into Existence. So why is this important? Let me give you a couple things to consider. Many people have just an absolutely bizarre or wrong notion about heaven and what they think it's going to be like. They think a fat little cherubim strumming the harp, right, on little clouds. And it's going to be going to be this. We're going to kind of be floating around. Oh, look, there's, there's my puppy that died, and oh. Oh, there's grandma, or there's this person. Or, oh, it's nice. And we're just kind of floating, just kind of barely above the ground, right? Wearing long gowns, even though it's not the style today, you know? This is what it's going to be like. They think that think of it in terms of spiritual and out-of-body experiences, but the Bible very clearly tells us in this crescendo that it looks very physical. It is very physical. It's a new heaven and a new earth the eternal state is a physical reality you are going to be breathing real air eating real food with real people enjoying real music and real worship with a real God and we should get really excited about that and I can tell it on your faces right now come on (laughs) Heaven is real. And it's going to be a real place. But there's on top of that, the beauty of the future is that the glory of God would not be limited only to the promised land given to Israel, but that there would be a global display of God. A global display. This, this hope is expressed in Habakkuk chapter 2. It says this, For the earth will be filled, filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. How does water cover the sea? Completely. So God is going to reveal his glory, his beauty, his power as water covers the sea. And finally, there's a reminder here that being part of God's people means that there is an important connection between the physical and, and the spiritual. After all, why, why would death be such an important equation in all of this here on earth? And, and, or why, why did Jesus have to come to be a man? Why couldn't he just be spiritual? Spiritual. No, there's an important connection, and the point here is simply that what we do physically, both spiritually, positively, and negatively, really matters. It really matters. Physical disobedience and physical righteousness really matter. What you do physically matters. Your body is a temple to Oh, Lord. What? Physical. It matters. It's real. It matters. God is not worshiped just theoretically or just spiritually. So don't fall into this age old trap of thinking that the physical world doesn't just matter. Oh, don't worry about it. We're going on to Jesus. No, it matters. Being a part of God's people means that they have a relationship with their creator that is as real and as tangible as the actual land between the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It is real. Number 3, there's a blessing. The covenantal promise that God that God makes with his people involves their obedience and his blessing. In fact, there's a direct connection between the two. Obedience brings about help me out. blessings. blessings. Obedience brings about blessings. remember that. Obedience brings about blessings. On their part, Israel was to be faithful to their God. Verse 24 is really clear about that. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars down into pieces. Israel was going to be living in a land of idolatry. Total paganism. And the worship of these gods was central to the, the Canaanite worldview. Israel was entering a land where the people believed that wind and rain and fertility were controlled by various other gods. And worshiping those gods was not only part of their culture, it was vital to their survival. And Israel was to be totally different. Do not be like them. Do not worship them. Do not serve them. They were to serve Yahweh alone. And from that, he would bless them. They were to be a very unique people, trusting in Him and Him alone. And ultimately, the faithfulness of God's people would result in the blessing of God. It would take an enormous amount of faith to trust that Yahweh, the Lord, was truly more powerful than all these other gods. But if they were faithful to God, If they were faithful, he would bless them in surprising ways. So God motivates his children with blessing and reward. And this method of motivation did not terminate in the Old Testament. It is a frequent theme in the New Testament as well. Here's a few examples. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places he, if you are in Christ he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Romans 8 he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all how will he not also with him give graciously give us all things <laughs> and I want you to picture Jesus in Luke chapter 12 kind of doing one of these fear not little flock. fear not for it is your father's good shh. for it is your father's good pleasure it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom fear not Or Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So the beauty of being part of God's people is the gracious blessings which God supplies God motivates obedience by promising us more than what sin offers us. Obedience brings blessing. Number four, blood. Some of you get squeamish even thinking about giving blood. But blood is a central part of the whole story of Scripture. Chapter 24 continues the completion of the covenant by turning attention toward the response of God's people. God laid out his terms. He said, okay, these are, these are my expectations. These are my deals. You'll be obedient to these. There'll be blessings. And now it's time for the people to respond. And did you hear that twice they responded? And both in very similar ways. 24 verse 3. And Moses told the people all the words of the Lord and, and all the rules. And they responded how? With one voice. We sometimes have a hard time reading in unison, right? But in one voice, somehow they all knew to say the same thing. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will do. And after hearing this response, what did Moses do? He wrote down all the words. He erected 12 pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel and built an altar at the base of the mountain. And what follows is meant to be a covenant ratification ceremony. In other words, we are going to stamp this. We're going to make this final. We're going to do something that you will never forget. And it's critical that you understand this. So the people, they all gathered. They brought together these sac- animals to be sacrificed to the Lord. They brought burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings to the Lord. And Moses took the blood from the sacrifices. And this had to be a, a, quite a mess. He took half of the blood, and he threw it against the altar. Kind of goes against our North American kind of senses, like, ooh, There's going to be bugs there, and that kind of is nasty. (laughs) But threw it against the altar. Why? Because it symbolizes God's demand for justice. Blood needs to be shed. And then he took the rest of the blood, and he sprinkled the people. He threw it out on the crowd, symbolizing their purification and their cleansing. All of this was to make a very, very clear, clear connection between their acceptance before God and substitutionary death. In order to live, hear this, friends. In order to live, something or someone had to die. Get it. Do not leave that out ever of your gospel presentation. This is critical. Once again, when the people affirmed their, their, their uh, desire to be faithful, their covenant with God, they said, We'll, we'll, we'll do whatever you said and, and we will be obedient. And Moses then sealed the moment with an important statement. Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. So in other words, to be a part of God's people. You need to understand that that means that you are blood covered. Sometimes we can sing those songs in our our hymns and go, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you go, do, do you really get that? You are blood-covered people. It meant that in order for you to have a relation with the creator of the universe, the God who is sovereign over all things, someone had to die in your place. The parallels here to the New Testament and the gospel are absolutely clear, right? Right? If you miss Jesus here, something is missing. I think of no better way that it can be summarized other than Hebrews chapter 9. Listen to it. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all, into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. There should be like an amen any time now. That was weak. (laughs) But if the blood... The blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, huh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purifying our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. How much more? Oh, oh, oh It's like, Incremental, it's like crescendo, it's off the charts. If, if goats could do it, and it was temporary, what about the one who was absolutely perfect? How much more? And it was Jesus on the eve of his death who said this, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when you come to the Lord's Supper and you hear the blood of Christ poured out for you, there should be in your heart this swelling, amen. I am blood covered. I've been purchased with a price. Amen. Thanks be to God. Lead your heart to dancing. And I know some of you, that's like a foreign thing. Especially right here. Uh, bad dancing normally, but it should lead you to some glorious, beautiful dancing before the Lord. Say, thanks be to God. What he's done in my heart, what he's done in my life. He's covered, I'm covered with the blood of Christ. To be God's people means that you have been ransomed by blood. And here's the last thing presence. The covenant confirmation ends with a fellowship meal. I love this. Where Yahweh and 70 representatives from the people of Israel meet. Who do they meet? God. It's an amazing thing. Verses 9 and 11 are incredible to read. And Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate and they drank. Could you imagine that? They ate and drank with God. The description for God here uses the terms that come as close as the human language can to the beauty of what they were beholding. The the apostle John faced the same dilemma, right, in Revelation? When he tried to describe the one who was seated on the throne as having the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of a rainbow, or of of an emerald. And what's more, the book of Revelation identifies a marriage supper that takes place in heaven, a real place. A fellowship meal between God and His church. But the most, don't miss this, the most glorious aspect of all of this is the simple fact that they were in the actual presence of the Lord. Holy cow. The actual presence of the Lord... And this will be a major theme for us as Moses moves up further into the mountain as he's he's enshrined in the glory of God for 40 days and he receives instructions for that first worship center which God will inhabit the tabernacle. And this, friends, is the goal of all these covenants. The presence of God with his people. And we see it here and we'll see it more in the tabernacle But it is part, we also see this in the coming of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and did what? Dwelled Dwelled among us. He dwells among us. And it reaches ultimately this crescendo, this deafening crescendo in, in Revelation 21. When the loud voice from the throne declares, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Amen. That's like huge. This is a gospel presentation of what God is doing. So you got the angel of the lord, the land, the blessing, the blood and the presence are all parts of being, the basic parts of being the people of God. In in Exodus we see this theme softly. In Christ we see it growing louder. And it reaches its ultimate crescendo in Revelation. So this text invites those of you who have never, never become a part of God's people. It invites you to come to your creator today through the blood of Jesus Christ. It it means that you recognize God's otherness, his, His holiness, His beauty and His majesty coupled with your sinfulness. And then putting your faith in Christ Jesus for forgiveness. You become a part of God's people through a relationship with the Son of God. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this text gives us a preview of what is to come. Of what we anxiously anticipate. What we tell others about. You're suffering death. You're suffering pain. You're suffering tears. You got mental anguish. Let me tell you some good news. Put your faith in the one who is making all things new. Trust in Him. And friends, when you see this all happening here in Exodus or Revelation, what should it do? It should make you bow in humble worship. That God would be so gracious. So gracious to call us, to rescue us, to redeem us, and to covenant with us. It should lead you to worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.